you are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. chapter 17 today. So welcome to life. Uh, I haven't said this in a while. We've kind of slimmed down our service, but just to remind you, it hasn't changed, that we are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. And so we're glad you're here. We're glad that you're joining us online today. We're in a series called Set Apart. We're looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 that talks about God's people being a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a people of his own possession, right? And that means that there's a different flavor to his people in the world for his glory and for our joy. And so we're going to walk into John 17 as we look at relationship and relationship with the world and relationship with one another. And so we're going to read what is called the high priest prayer. And this would actually be the final prayer of Jesus. Uh, The next chapter, chapter 18, is where Jesus is betrayed by Judas. And this is a farewell prayer that he prays over the disciples and those who are faithful to him in that time. But it's not just, it's not just for Andrew and Peter and Matthew. Like Jesus prays this with us in mind. And so this prayer is spoken over me and you and Pat and Lindsay and Corey. Like God is speaking these words over us in this time. Uh, for our encouragement and our joy. So let's just jump into 17 here. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to join us on your digital devices or in person, and as always, they'll be on the screen. Starting in verse 12, in the midst of his prayer, uh, these are the words of Jesus. Uh, While I was with them, I I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I I have guarded them. He's talking about believers And not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction, that's Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they, meaning us, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may also may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. And so, Father, I desire that also whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, 
even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we just, uh, we just lift up your word today. It is uh, for the good of our hearts and our soul that we heed it. And so, Lord, we are just coming today fully confessing that we are thankful and celebrate the fact that we have personal freedoms, that we have rights in this country. But, Lord, we also know that walking in that reality, that it is far easy for us to make this life about ourselves. And so, Lord, we confess that we have made things about us, that we have sought our own kingdoms, that we have focused on our own little worlds, and we have not heeded your wisdom. And so, Lord, help us to surrender and submit to this, that we would see the beauty of what it means to be in relationship with one another as one, that we would desire it with all of our hearts through your Spirit. And we pray this boldly through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So Jesus is praying this, not for those in the moment, not just for those in that time, but for everyone who would come to faith in him. He is interceding on our behalf. Like, that is humbling to think even currently your father is ascended, your, your God is ascended in the throne, and on the throne he is interceding on your behalf to keep you and sustain you. And he's praying in this moment that there would be a oneness amongst us. He is praying that there would be oneness amongst us, that we would be united with the Trinity, the Godhead, that Father Jesus, Holy Spirit, the Son, united in this beautiful oneness that we would be a part of it. In this reciprocal relationship where we find our love and our joy and our peace through God as we trust and worship and live for Him. So He desires us to be one with God. And then He says this, I want them to be one together. The believers, the church, to them to be one as you and I, Father, are one. Perfect as we are one. That in this room and in the church, the big C globally, there would be a unity and a devotion to each other. And there's a reason for that. And Jesus says that so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you have loved me. God's desire is for us to have abundant, flourishing, thriving, let's just throw all the adjectives that we can full relationships amongst those who follow him, that we would have a relationship that was set apart from the world that will be a blessing to the world for their flourishing and their joy. And the reason that we are to be set apart in relationships is that others might see the love of God amongst us. As Jesus says later in the Gospel of John, he says that by this everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. Right? All of us Christians, we don't have the option to be disciples if we're a believer in Jesus. It's not a check mark to say I'm willing to go this level. We are disciples of Jesus because we desire more than anything to be like Christ. And so in simple terms, your relationships matter to God. What you show and display in your relationships matter to God. 
Jesus very directly communicates that what will be fundamental for the world to see God's love is our relationship amongst each other. And so let's do some discussing and heavy work today of of the preeminence and the need for relationship amongst God's believer. And so it's, you know, it's almost impossible. We can have a discussion on this. It's not going to go well. But it's almost impossible to say that we don't need relationships. We need relationships. There may be a few of you out there that romanticize an idea of being on a tropical island by yourself, Um, but you and I both know that your greatest culinary skill is microwave. And so that illusion sort of goes away when we kind of critically think about it. We need each other. We can only live in relationship for our joy and for God's glory. There was a a ruler in the 13th century in Rome, uh, the Emperor Frederick. And Frederick had this uh, really devastating, gross idea that he wanted to find the original language of man, whether it was Hebrew or Greek or Latin. And so he set up an experiment in which he took three or so infants and he put them in a room that was filled with silence and he found nurses that would commit to not saying a word. And he thought that over time, in that silence, that they would begin to speak in the original dialect of man. But what he realized is that those babies died within months. We are wired for relationships. Like single men, like just to throw some things at you, are jailed more often, they die sooner, they earn less, they have more diseases. Sorry if you're single in here. I'm not trying to be a bummer. Married men with cancer live 20% longer than single men. Women who have deeper relationships most often than men live longer than that. Relationships keep us alive. 90% of people who fail in the workplace, that reality is because we can't get along with people. And so like, well, there's no need to analyze if we need relationships. We need to talk about how we have relationship. And so let's assume this. Let's assume that relationships reveal God's love for the world. That's an easy truth. Let's assume that and let's work backwards. There is a manner of swagger that you and I as believers walk in our relationships with people in the world. And when I say world, I'm defining the world as those who do not profess the name of Christ. There is a swagger, if I can use that word, I'm 38, I think it's okay. There is a swagger amongst us that is not about arrogance, it's not about confidence, it's about humility and wholeness and hope. We have Jesus, and it is through our weakness that we are strong. And it's through that swagger that we become a blessing to the world. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 5. He says that you are the light of the world, a city set on the hill that cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Oh, no, oh, no, you have to do that. But on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And so to the world 
in our relationships with the world, there should be something that shines, something that's different, a light per se, that they would look at us and say, what is going on with them? What is different about them? We bring light into dark places, life to people who are dead, grace and mercy into a world that doesn't know it. We are set apart in our relationships with the world in a way that blesses them. God has chosen by his divine will not to take us from this world, although there are days that you just go, take me home now, Jesus. Or Jesus, maybe you've seen Carrie Underwood, Jesus, just take the wheel. One of those two. But we are in this world for a purpose, to be light, beacons of hope in the world, pointing each other to the love of God, pointing to the world that there is a beautiful, glorious God that lives. But we have to be very careful about how we have relationships with the world. There's a, an important distinction that we have to know. Paul writes it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? This is a hard piece of Scripture, because is Paul saying that we shouldn't have friends in the world? Well, this was written to the church in Corinth, whose leaders of the day were being influenced by the culture of the day. They were friends with the world in a way that they were letting the world's influence dictate the actions and the words of the church. This is about not being influenced by the world, not that we don't have relationships with the world. And this term, yoke, comes from the book Deuteronomy in chapter 22. And it, and it comes from this idea, a, a yoke is something that you put on animals if you're wanting to plow the field or move a wagon. And there's a command to the Israelites to not yoke two animals of different species together. And that just seems like, a, that God had to say that is a crazy kind of deal. But it makes sense. You wouldn't lump a horse and a bull together. They have different speeds, different work ethics, different temperaments that would not go well. And so this idea is that we should be careful in which we yoke ourselves to in this world. We should be very careful in that because for you and I, our most significant desire should be to be like Christ, to be conformed into the image of the Son, and so obviously you have relationships with the world, but not in a way that our light or our influence is diminished or compromised in any way. There is a different level in which we engage with the world than we do with God's people. I'm just going to repeat that. There's a different way that we engage with the world than we do with God's people. And look, that sounds weird, but hear me, it is our blessing and it is for the flourishing of the world. It is a blessing to the world when we engage with the right people, with the right influence, in the right way. It becomes a blessing to the world because we are light to the world. Your ability to shine as lights in this world, to bring glory with God, to God, to show the world the love of God, will come from the crucible of God's people. Restoring each other, polishing each other, sharpening each other as they pursue being one. This crucible is where we get to live out our faith with grace and humility, encouraging each other to be more than we are, 
Jesus writes at the end of this prayer, he says, Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. The world does not know the Jesus that you know. The world does not know the Jesus that redeemed you. It does not know the peace that was brought to you. Jesus is praying, he's interceding on our behalf that we might have the same love amongst each other as God has for the Son, that the world would see it. And so we have to understand, my faith in Jesus comes from the confession that I need something more than myself that I need something other than my brokenness and my selfishness to deal with myself. It comes from the repentance of the wrongs that I do. It comes through the recognition of how utterly utterly I, I don't deserve to be desired by God, but yet He does. And that in my life, I'm fully satisfied by his love. I'm satisfied by his grace and his mercy that he becomes sufficient for all that I need. And that is the battle of a believer, to really believe that God is sufficient in every aspect of my life. And that belief, those confessions, those recognitions become the foundation of our relationships together. To to say with our words, I'm not who I should be. I need a Savior. And I want to be more like Him, but I don't know how. We're yoked equally together because we are mere beggars of God's grace. And so our relationships, brothers and sisters, should be sustained by the same grace and mercy and love that we found in salvation. That that sort of love and mercy and grace that was given to us by the Father that saved us should be coming from us to others. It is the baseline of our interactions together. Grace and love and hope producing people who assume the best in one another, that want the best in one another. We are a redemptive community. We believe in redemption. We believe that people can change. We are a kingdom people where this should be the practicing grounds of becoming like Christ. There should be a kindredness of those in Christ, that we aren't thinking too highly of ourselves, that we are forgiving one another as we are forgiven, that we receive each other with gentleness and respect. You know, in the English language, the word one another is obviously two words, but in Greek it's one word, it's alelon. Alelon means of one another. And in our scriptures, that word is used a hundred times. 94 of which are found in the New Testament, 60% of which are spoken by Paul, most of which are directed towards the actions of believers towards one another. There is a prescription that God has deemed appropriate and good and flourishing for the church. And I want to list that for you today. I want you to hear what Paul writes to the inspiration of God would be the reality that exists. This is God's earnest desire for the church, the relationship amongst the saints, amongst those who claim Christ. They're divided into different categories. We'll talk about unity. Unity makes up one-third 
of the one another, the alleloi, alleloi. And so here's what it says. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble against one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. Don't be boastful, challenging, or envying one another. Gently, patiently tolerate one another. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Seek good for another. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't complain against one another. Confess your sins to one another. And then under the category of love, we see love one another 12 times in the New Testament. Through love, serve one another. Tolerate one another in love. Greet one another. Be devoted to one another in love. Humility, which is 15% of the one another, says give preference to one another. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Serve one another. Wash one another's feet. Don't be haughty. Be of the same mind. Be subject to one another. Clothe yourself in humility towards one another. Do not judge another and put a stumbling block in your brother's way. Bear one another's burdens. Speak truth to one another. Don't lie to one another. Comfort one another. Encourage and build up one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Do you get the picture of the beauty that is found in God's church as we relate to one another? We are strong through our weakness because all that I need is Jesus. If we are professing believers of Christ, there are things that we assume in all of us. There's a truth to all of us. A truth that says this, that we have found a love that is more lovely and greater than our own. A a grace that makes me greater than I am. A hope that withstands the times and the seasons and a peace that transcends all I know. That is what's true of Christ. And if it's true of Christ, it's true of believers. And we fight that to believe that, to trust that. But if that's true of Christ's followers, then it's a, it means that we are a people who have nothing to lose. Because what do I have to gain that I don't already have in Christ? I have nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. And so together, we get to practice Christ-likeness amongst each other because we should be able to trust each other to be graceful and encouraging and forgiving. We should be able to see the best in one another. You and I should be able to practice and fail. We make mistakes. We say things that we shouldn't. We're loved in a way that wasn't loving. Our foundation of grace and mercy and love and sufficiency in God should allow me to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Or, hey, that hurt. Or, hey, I know that you're trying to walk with Jesus. I see this in your life. What's going on? We should be able to confess our hurts and our joys to one another. And we can do that because we assume the best in one another. Because we trust in Jesus. That we're all seasoned by grace and love and hope in Christ, forgiving not just once, but
at 7 times 70, as much as we can. I'm not sure where it began to happen and how it began to happen that living as a people of grace just means that we live as a people who tolerate one another. That just sort of assumes somebody's intent or motive behind something instead of just talking to them and saying, I didn't understand that. And next week we're going to walk through being set apart in our conflict. Like Christians should deal with conflict better than anybody in this world. We just ghost each other. And we hurt each other in the process. So the church is a practice field where we become like Christ so that the world would see Christ in us. We are a practice ground, a threshing ground, where we practice out and work out our salvation to become like Christ so that the world can see Christ. We could say it this way. We are doing all the hard work amongst God's people to become one, loving each other, forgiving each other, enduring with each other, stirring each other up with good affection and hope in a way that it just, in the world, frees me to practice love with everyone always. Because of the work that I'm doing here and the humility that I'm showing and the forgiveness that I'm getting, giving and giving, it frees me up to be a blessing, a light to the world. We will never be perfect in this, and you and I know that. But failure doesn't mean that we stop. Failure doesn't mean that we don't commit to this. This isn't optional. And I know I have my introverted friends out there that are going, oh, I don't know about this. Just one. Can I just do one? Is that okay? Sure, yeah. But could this be a question that we wrestle with? Are we people that are seasoned with grace, where we are assuming the best in one another, working out, practicing with one another, not assuming intentions and motives, but restoring each other, believing in redemption, showing grace and love and mercy, that we become a fuller, better image of Christ to the world. I don't know where we got away from this. And I'm not saying that it's happening, not happening. I just think that we've lost our way a little bit. And I have to confess, I have too. And so here's what we have to focus on. You know, so many times we come into the church and we believe that it's somebody else's job to connect me into a vibrant, healthy Christian relationship. It's my job. It's your job to do what Christ has called us to do. If you want vibrant, healthy relationships that are refining, polishing, that are growing in Christ, start listening to the scripture. Encourage one another. Bear with one another. Bring somebody alongside of you. Be humble with them, forgiving with them, encouraging them, stirring them up to do good things. If you want deep fulfilling relationships where God is glorified and the world sees the love of Christ in you, commit yourself to the work of sanctification, to becoming like Christ. Don't wait for somebody else to do that. Too, far too often we think it's somebody else's job. I have a personal with faith with Jesus that I have to walk out in. Let us be a church that is for the city in a way that we are a sweet aroma 
of saints, God's redeemed people, in a redemptive community, practicing becoming more and more like Jesus through our failures and our weakness, as we celebrate with one another, encourage one another through mutual grace and hope, assuming the best in each other, humble in our relationships with each other. It is for our joy and God's glory, and it's for the flourishing and the blessing of the world that we do it. Would you pray with me? Father, we are uh, far too often uh, falling short of, of, of living in this reality uh, where we are connected to one another in a way that we encourage and forgive. Uh, Lord, it is true, and you know it, the people that have hurt us the most in our life tend to be the brothers and sisters that we thought we were walking with in faith. And Lord, there are wounds in this church, and I know there are wounds in my heart from other brothers and sisters hurting us. And so Lord, will you just give us the grace to be able to trust you that you're sufficient, that in our weakness and our forgiveness of that, Lord, that we might embrace your fullness. And that, Lord, we wouldn't just give up on becoming like you, becoming the church, being a sweet aroma that the world would see your love through our relationships, but you would help us gently and humbly walk towards that. And so, Spirit, we pray that you would move in our hearts today through that word. And we pray this boldly in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.